0: Hey everybody, we have a lot of new listeners, so we thought we wanted to re-release our episode about what it means to be reformed. More new Restless coming at you soon, maybe this weekend we'll get you some yay, nay, or nuance, I don't know. We also have a deer blind to man a little bit, but until next time, this is a Restless Rewind. Welcome to another episode of Restless. I'm your host, Matt, joined by Pastor Michael. If you are looking for a fan review of the soap opera, The Young, Restless, and Reformed, this is not the podcast for you. But I do have good news for you. There are lots of those podcasts available. Our podcast is about everything New Calvinism. So if you happen to be interested in that, welcome on board, right? Come join us. This is... This
1: is, you have found that small little niche podcast that no one thought would ever happen and that no one even thought about thinking about if it would
0: ever happen. That's right. And we didn't even think about it. We just started going. We are excited to be back. We are going to start a a three-episode run here where we are going to cover all three of those words in Young, Restless, Reformed. Thank you, Colin Hansen, for your book title. And, uh, it's another thing that is, we often talk about as new Calvinism. And we're going to talk about these things again at length as we go through, but we just want to hit on, I think these three words do really sum up the movement well. And so we are going to discuss them and, and their meaning in, in each of these episodes, right? That there was a movement among teens, 20 somethings and 30 and somethings and younger leaders, Um, And it was excited. They were passionate about uh, the sovereignty of God. This is in broad strokes we mean by these. And we're going to take these terms one at a time, starting with Reformed. I think uh, the episodes as we walk through these things, as we look back on these things, are going to be really helpful to you and others who are from part of this. And so one way you can help us help others find the episodes is by rate and reviewing this podcast in whatever your podcast catcher is. And so actually, we are going to run a little bit of a special here. The first person to rate and review this podcast in their podcast catcher with five stars and email us at RestlessPodcasting at gmail.com. We are going to send you a book as a thank you. Um, And never fear, if you are uh, not first, please still rate and review it. We will have drawings and future things in the future. So, We're going to get ready to go here today. Michael, Reformed. Reformed TM. What is it? That's a great question.
1: Uh, And it is obviously something that we want to delve into a little bit more. Uh, My first question, though, is why do we start here? Uh, Out of these three kind of ideas, the young, the restless, reformed, Mm -hmm. why
0: are we starting with reformed? Uh, that is a, a great question. I hope I have a good reason. I think the movement itself was a movement of, on a, on a purely sociological level, the movement was a movement of a kind of theology. And, and the young and the restless are ways of defining, of, of describing what was happening in regards to that theology.
1: I think that's right. I think that, like, they, the Young and the Restless aspect of of New Calvinism, these are simply uh, adjectives, in a sense, on what was believed, which was the Reformed doctrines, or some of them anyway, uh, which is what we want to get into a little bit.
0: Yeah. Michael, when you were most influenced by new Calvinism, how would you have defined reformed? I don't know that I would have been able to put the best of words to it, but
1: uh, moving into these ideas for the first time, I would have said to be reformed means you are a Calvinist. Uh, To be a Calvinist means that basically you believe in the five points of Calvinism, right? This uh, tulip. Uh, I don't—I think it was after the movement, but I believe that uh, someone like— uh, I think Piper wrote a book called Tulip, didn't he? Uh, that was just all about these five points. I've actually not read it. I'm not commenting on it. It's probably pretty good. Uh, but uh, that's how I would have described it, right? It's these these five points of Calvinism. So, so Calvinism as defined soteriologically, that is what I am. I believe that God is sovereign in the process of salvation. And so uh, I, as a person, I would have said that, you know, I am... Each of us individually is totally deprived in that we are dead in our sins. Uh, sin has influenced every aspect of who we are, and we're in rebellion to God. And God has, uh, not because of me choosing him, but out of his own free grace, chosen me without any kind of you know, conditioning of that choice upon my own choice. And that he has elected uh, some unto salvation— and those are the people that Christ died for, uh, that this is not uh, universally true of every single person that has or ever will live, mm-hmm. and that uh, when he called me, when he called me through the gospel, I believed, and uh, there was, it was not something that I had a choice about. Uh, not that I didn't, you know, at that time have a renewed will that wanted to follow Christ, but it was not something that I was going to fight against. That's the I the in tulip, the irresistible grace. And then that because I am saved, I will be saved unto the end, which means that I cannot lose my salvation. There's the perseverance of the saints. And uh, that is basically how I would describe it. I, I maybe would have also brought up the, the solas of the Reformation, mm. uh, but I, I don't even know if I would have known that. Early on, I, I probably would have just basically boiled it down to God is sovereign in who he saves, and it is through his work and his choice, not my work and my choice, that this comes about.
0: I think you're basically right. Pastor Michael, if I can be honest, I think you probably just explained the five points maybe more eloquently than you would have 10 years ago, though. I guarantee... <laughs> That I just did it far more eloquently than I ever could have.
1: Yes. I don't even know if I knew the five points. I'm sure somebody told me at some point, but I would have just said, yeah, God, God chooses. God does what he wants.
0: If you remember on our last show, I was intimately familiar with the five points because I changed. Jesus loves me to sing to the five points of Calvinism. I, I think, but I'm glad
1: that you're just, you're just like, you know, out and
0: proud. I'm owning it. I'm owning it. Uh, there are worse things you'll be able to find of me on the internet. Matt Klein has no regrets. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Or unlike unlike um, uh, Frank Sinatra, who has a few, I guess. Um, yes. I think what you're saying is basically right. That And the reason I was so familiar with the five points is because that's what I thought it meant to be reformed. That is what it was. That was what I was fighting for that's what was going to hold us together and that's what evangelicalism needed to accept and so i don't think michael you and i are alone actually i i went tried to look back some of the to find some places where the definition of reformed was discussed and so you brought up john piper and obviously he was a major figure in this as 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 our listeners if you're listening to this i know you've listened to ask pastor john Um, I'm going to just read you a snippet of, of a answer he gave when he said, we, this is a question they get regularly. It said, give us a simple definition of reformed theology. This thing called Calvinism we so often talk about on the podcast. Now, I think it's interesting that again, they equate those two things to begin. Um, now this is a very long answer, but I'm going to choose the paragraph where I think he attempts, I am attempting to give his His context. So he has a longer answer, but this is the paragraph where he gives an answer. Reformed theology, as I mean it, is a view of God and in his way in the world that grows like a tree with lots of branches out of a deep conviction that God's glory is the goal of all things and his freedom and his sovereignty are essential to his deity. And because he is free and sovereign and glorious, he doesn't need to be served by anyone to meet his needs. Therefore, he is gloriously free to be gracious to us. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> that is maybe one of the least clear definitions I could have found. It
1: is very Piper. you If you've listened to much Piper, it's like, oh yeah, I see exactly where he's coming from, but that's because I have read... Enough of him. It is right. I've read Desiring God. Okay, I see where he's. I see where he's going with some of that.
0: It is, but again, what you what you even get in his his answer, which is not a straight answer. Uh, and as you as you probably know, if you're familiar with him, he is rare to give that kind of straight answer. It's all about God's sovereignty in salvation. Right. You know, I, I was looking at a five a nine marks article about bringing the five points of Calvinism to your church Sunday meeting, right? And it says that the article started with, it's vital for those of us who hold to a reform or Calvinistic doctrine of salvation to consider our corporate worship reflecting our soteriology. Once again, what does it mean to be reformed, even in our worship? Our worship reflects the five points. And even if And if there's any question about this, I'm going to give you uh, just a little bit from Colin Hansen's book, Young, Restless, and Reformed. Once again, thank you, Colin Hansen, for your book and the unending amount of podcast material you have certainly served up It is so helpful. (laughs) Um, Where he uh, begins to explain this. Um, Calvinists, like their namesake, the Reformation theologian John Calvin, stressed that initiative, sovereignty, and the power of God is the only sure hope for sinful, fickle, and morally weak human beings. Furthermore, they teach that the glory of God is the ultimate theme of preaching and the focus of worship. Many recognize Calvinism, described as others as reformed theology by the acronym of TULIP. And I'm not going to to share his definition of the TULIP because I think um, Pastor Michael has already given us a... A, a great explanation of those things. And, and again, if you're listening to this podcast, I know you, you, are, you are familiar with those definitions. Michael, do you have any, any thoughts hearing the YRR, defining reform, defining Calvinist? Um,
1: so this is exactly what I would have thought as well. And I remember the first conversations or, or lectures or like, Interactions I had with people where something was said like to be reformed, you can't simply believe in these reformed ideas about salvation.
0: Mm.
1: And tried to like and, and when I would hear things like, "Well, you're not really reformed if you don't have a particular view of the sacraments.". Mm. <laughs> Uh, you're not really reformed if you don't have a particular view of covenant theology. And I remember thinking, well, that is ridiculous, right? Like that is. How how can you, you know, say that and, and keep people out of this? But I do think that what's happening is there is a— I want to be realistic about how language is fluid, mm-hmm. right? Language is organic. It grows. It changes over time. And what we have here is a particular— uh, set of words, reformed, Calvinism, and uh, they are being used to describe something that historically may maybe would not have been described that way. Uh, and it it's just taken on that new meaning. So I know many people uh, who uh, would say that they are reformed, but they would feel intensely uncomfortable with most of what we teach here at my Reformed Presbyterian Church. Uh, but they do like John Piper. Mm. And so that would make them reformed. And so, I'm not like, I don't want to, you know, like obviously from my perspective where I'm at now, I would be like, well, you just don't understand hmm. what I mean when I say reformed or what I mean, when I say Calvinist, just like I didn't understand what these people that I heard saying this to me before were, Cause I just thought, well, isn't that kind of prideful and pompous that you just get to say what you think it means.
0: I, I heard two important things in your response. One, Pastor Michael might be a postmodern with how he was talking about language changing. I don't know if we're allowed to do that. And- language is organic. It does not mean that definition doesn't matter. Oh, okay. But it does change over time. I get it. Men are still men and women are still women. Please don't pull this podcast, Tech Giants, quite yet. We're not ready. That's right. Um, But... The other thing I heard you say is that that definition of reform is not the one you're using anymore. Is that true? That would be true. Okay. So what what I would call what I was.
1: Yes. Right? What we were, what I would call the young restless reform movement, is I would call it basically a Calvinistic. Evangelicalism—that's kind of the term that I typically use. I like. Uh, or sometimes I use the term Calvinistic Pietism, hmm. and uh, really, evangelicalism in my mind is basically—it's—it's it's Pietistic. So it's—I consider it a, a form of Pietism. And uh, just to go into that a little bit more, because maybe that's not super clear uh, right off the top. But what I mean by Calvinistic evangelicalism is that. Particular aspects of Calvinism, specifically the the aspects of Calvinism that deal with salvation, mm. uh, specifically an individual's salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when speaking of of an individual's salvation and the 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 way that God does that, how He does it, the the instrument He uses, uh, these are evangelicals who would agree with that, mm. right? They would agree God is sovereign in the salvation of a sinner. And he is the one that chooses them before the foundation of the world. And he is the one that died for that particular person. He is the one that will preserve the faith of that person to the end. Mm. But as far as the base presuppositions of the theological system, and I know, I mean, New Calvinism was broad. It was not you know, uh, it, it was not like one mainstream, okay? So we're, I mean, we're only 10 years out. I mean, we're, we don't have a long historical vantage point of this stuff. That's right. So we don't have a way to just boil it down into, well, it was just this. Uh, but generally speaking, the presuppositions of the movement, uh, at least as far as I understood it, was a part of it, and everything that I had read and uh, participated in from it it still held the basic uh, presuppositions of evangelicalism where uh, the focus was still on individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the focus was still on personal, internal, uh, experiential knowledge of things. And, and like the way that you interact with everything else, uh, the way that I experience things, uh, that became—that was still a, a central tenet, which is why the the forms of evangelism and things like that that were used were still driven based on entertainment value. Can we get more people in? We, you know, like we, we want to make this palatable for people. Mm. And so that's, that's why I call it that. Calvinistic evangelicalism is generally how
0: I, how I refer to what I used to be. So— I am about to lay out an argument for why we, we should uh, use the terms reformed more carefully. Do these labels matter? And if they do, how? Do you think they matter before I, I, I try and convince the listener of, of a perspective I, I, I think is helpful? And, and, and we'll find out from you if you agree with me.
1: They're definitely helpful and and necessary. And so I understand that we are in a time when all of language is being broken (laughs) down. And so I do, I want to make clear, I am not a postmodernist. I I do believe that categories are important and necessary, but I also understand why there could be some who are, you know, perfectly uh, like they, they're not trying to be deceptive in their language. They are just using a term in the way that it's been defined to them. Oh, I am reformed because I believe that God is sovereign in the salvation of individuals.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, like that—that that is all that I'm trying to say. But I'm excited to hear what you say. And hopefully we can disagree a little bit more uh, throughout the podcast because
0: that's just a little bit more fun. It is more fun. And, and, and we will do our best. Um, if, if you're listening right now and you think you can present a wedge issue— to To get um, Michael and I, please, please send it in to restlesspodcasting at gmail.com. I, so I do. I think these terms matter. And I mean, I, again, I don't want to, it is it, so interesting because there, I think there are two reasons, again, people, people defend, you know, get, get uneasy. There is the uneasiness of, well, this, don't kick me out of the club. Right. I think there is a little of that. I think that, again, sadly, any label, I think this is part of why we're so suspicious of them is their branding, there's money, right? If I get to call myself this. But, but again, this is just my attempt at helping people have, be good good fences. I, I am, and, and my goal is to have definitions that whether or not I am any of these things, I can just easily identify uh, the, the content of what is described in them. So I think the three terms you want to remember to help yourself, uh, to get at these, and these are, these are, again, are not perfect. I even think Calvinistic evangelicalism is even better, but here's the, here are the terms I use. Calvinist, reformed, and confessional. Calvinist, reformed, and confessional. And so when I used to equate Calvinism and Reformed, uh, you know, I think there are ways people define these words that are, there's the way the young restless Reformed did, which was, you are, you believe God is sovereign in salvation and all of the, uh, the, the consequence, consequential ideas of that. I think there were some people that basically said, you are, these are the, the, Some people call them the truly reformed now. I don't know if they're ever going to be friends of the podcast, but if you're truly reformed, love to get you on. They are, you're reformed if you are a member of a church that holds to a confession that stems from the Reformation, right? And and again, I think that's a fine definition. That just means a lot less people are reformed. Um, And then I, and I heard it, and you even did it a little bit at the beginning. I call it the kind of piecemeal reformed approach which is like hey what are you reformed in are you reformed in soteriology are you reformed in sacraments are you reformed in and and again i think that becomes a little bit more helpful i think the problem is again it's hard for people to know what all those things are and this is where the term reformed this is this is the why i think this matter this this term matters and knowing what we mean by this term matters the question is is the doctrine you are holding to similar and at least in part derived from the teaching of the Protestant reformers, and specifically the non-Lutheran reformers? That is the question I'm trying to answer when I say, are you reformed? And Much so I, more historically rooted. Exactly. This is, this is all, because this is a term... This isn't if you're in the kingdom, if you're out of the kingdom. this is a historical question in my mind What do you think about that before I go into the into these terms I use? What I would say is I wish that you were right Oh
1: no I so like I, and I'm, like I basically I agree with you yeah. right I, I agree that is you know I, this is what I want uh, reform to be understood as mm-hmm. uh, at least within the Calvinistic evangelical circles yeah. of which I, you know, have been a part and still connected to, yep. uh, it's, it just doesn't mean that unfortunately, I'm, you know, again, I, I want to move the ball yeah. in that direction as much as I can. And right. maybe this podcast will help. I'm, I'm building a
0: sandcastle. And so I do, I, I love it. So you keep going. Yeah. Man. I love it. So I'm, I'm on board. So here, are, and, and again, now I want you to know that at no point are Michael and I discussing, um, the people that I think, I don't know what will come up. If you have a good name for these people, I'm going to call them Rhinos for now. They're reformed in name only. Or maybe we could call them Ricos, reformed in confession only. The PCUSA church in your town is not reformed at all. Is, is probably not Christian, sadly, at all. And so the, those people are, yeah, they're reformed in confession only. They shockingly say on their website they hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith. But they'll also baptize your dog and marry you to your sister and, you know, whatever else. But the, the terms I use, and, the, and again, they're not perfect. Maybe, again, I am, I'm fighting an uphill battle. So when I use the term Calvinist, I am saying, yes, you are a Calvinist if you uh, believe in the doctrines of grace, the five points of Calvinism. That makes you a Calvinist. Now, I already understand that that is not perfect because if I'm using historical terms, I don't think Calvin would have understood that as the essence of what it meant to der- to be theology derived from him. But again, that's... Yes, and we'll have to at some point just go into like the, the history of the
1: five points and oh, how yeah. this... I mean, this is not even... It's not like Calvin wrote a book called Tulip
0: one no. day. and. Again, there are, there are lots of ideas about how to go through this. That is what I say. So then the, the term I use for reformed, what I'm referring to is I am referring to the non-Lutheran branches of the Reformation. And so I say people are reformed who generally hold to doctrines branching from those reformers. And so, so sometimes people do add um, the five solos of the Reformation. Important, great, the Lutherans hold those. They are not. They don't distinguish us. I think, again, a lot of the new Calvinists like I did got really excited about the, the five solas because we didn't know what those were either. <laughs> we weren't really Protestants, right? And so not only did we have to become Calvinists, we had to become Protestants too.
1: Yeah, and this is why, by the way, this, this difficulty in the language is why when, you know, like this morning when I saw two what I assumed to be Catholic women and found out was were Catholic women standing outside the local Planned Parenthood with signs protesting abortion, which I was thankful for. And I went up and I thanked them and I talked to them for a little bit. I said, you know, it's a cold morning, like that's a hard thing to do. So I'm, you know, thankful that you're out here witnessing in this way. And I describe what I am. Well I'm a pastor of a conservative Presbyterian church here in town. And I say Presbyterian as my distinctive, but then I also have to add conservative because of what you've already said
0: about <laughs> some Presbyterian churches. Right, yeah, they're the Rico ones. And so the the question is, and and this is maybe what I'm what I'm almost most interested in your feedback on. If someone says, so then okay, so what is it? If it, if it's not just the doctrines of grace, okay, what is it? And I think it. I try and boil it down into. I do boil it down into kind of three areas. And if you are in these if you are reformed in these three areas, um I say you are broadly reformed. And that that th- these work out a little bit differently in different denominations. So so one yes, of course there are the doctrines of grace, there are all of the things that go along with that. God's sovereignty, God's transcendence. So that's one area. We'll call it the doctrines of grace. Area number 2. Do you hold to some form of the regulative principle of worship. If you do not hold to the regulative principle of worship, I, you, are, you just are not... I, I, again, I, I feel bad saying it. You just are not holding to the same system of theology the non-Lutheran reformers did. The Lutherans did not hold to this. They held to the normative principle of worship. Do I need to explain these two things? Is that Yeah,
1: Matt, Can I was going to say, can you go ahead and just ex- explain to us what is the regulative principle?
0: Yeah. Obviously, one of the central things the Re- Protestant Reformation was doing was reforming the worship of the church, trying to call the church's worship back to a, a, a holy standard, right? You You know that the services weren't performed in the language of the people, right? They weren't allowed to receive the Lord's Supper in both kinds, right? There were all these things that seemed like unbiblical practices that had crept in. The debate between the Lutheran reformers and the um, Swiss reformers at that time, Genevan reformers at that time, was how do we reform the worship of the church? The Lutherans said, we will reform the church this way, through the normative principle. We will not allow there to be anything in the worship of the church that the scripture explicitly forbids. So they had to get rid of the mass. They had to get rid of uh, a number of the the Catholic practices that they could not that they believed violated Scripture, praying, like honoring the Eucharist, the Mother Mary, right? These kinds of things. The Reformed believed the Lutherans did not go far enough. And they said the regulative principle of worship states: we cannot do anything in worship unless it is explicitly commanded by Scripture. We should not bring anything to worship God with that He has not asked us to bring. Is there anything you want to add? to that.
1: No, I think that's good. I think that's a, a, a helpful historical way to break it down. So we if have... someone were to ask me, you know, uh, what kind of governs your worship, it would be, well, the, whatever God has revealed to us about what worship is supposed to be like, that is what we're going to do. <laughs> so we, we do we get our worship from what
0: God has commanded in his word. Doctrines of grace regulative principle of worship and covenant theology number three it developed of course over time and and again like even the idea of me saying these things developed it's not they weren't invented then they were looking back at the church fathers they were looking at paul that the way that god structured how he how the bible is structured how god's relationship with people is structured is by covenant
1: yeah so god works uh... Through the history of salvation, mm-hmm. and he works even now uh, through covenants, through uh, people that are representative heads of others, through people in groups, not just as individuals. Uh, and so this is and this is an important point, because this is one of those aspects that I do think would make me say what I was a part of before. This was a Calvinistic evangelicalism where the focus is upon individuals, whereas uh, what I believe now is going to be in line with what I would consider covenant theology uh, or, or a covenantal understanding, right? God, God uh, holds us accountable for the, uh, for the original guilt of Adam. Mm. Why? why? Why am I born dead in my sins? when I have not yet done anything sinful? Well, it's because I am in Adam. It's because uh, Adam represented the entirety of the human race to God, and he fell. And so in him, me and my kids were just doing this catechism question this morning, talking about uh, how everyone fell in Adam's first transgression. That is how this uh, how this works. And that's good news because that's how it works with Christ too, because Christ died as the representative head. He rose as the representative head of his people, of a new world, of his new creation. And so uh, just as we have died in Adam, so too we are raised in Christ. And so uh, this this is how God has always worked though. And we, we should do... Uh, a whole episode at some point on covenant theology, probably walking through a bit more. But what I was going to say is that I, uh, if I was to define what I believe to be the core principles of true, you know, reformed doctrine, reformed theology, uh, if you want to call yourself this, I would say the exact same three things, Mm. right? That's, that's what I would, that's what I have walked through with people. Yeah. Uh, And this is, so this is important. This is a this is a this is important because this is the differentiation. This is how we should actually define these things. And and the new
0: Calvinists we were 1 for 3. Right. And and I and I think again it it will be great to talk through covenant theology because the more consistent and historic reformed documents you read, the more things you realize rest on their understanding of the covenant. Law, baptism, the church, which is why I think this can be the third. This is why it can be the third thing for me. So doctrines of grace, regular principle of worship, and covenant theology. And again, I think these three are, I've, I, I chose because they are what would have set right eventually the lutherans just ceded the the term reformed to the reformed churches for the sake of differentiation right and that's what i'm trying to do again if 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 you're saying something makes me reformed that actually would not differentiate you from a faithful lutheran or a faithful evangelical then what 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 is it and then that brings us to the third term i use which is confessional and i use confessional as a person who receives um, and probably should, you probably need to be a member but I, I'm not who receives a system of doctrine from a uh, a church church's confession so these would be things like the Westminster Confession of faith um, obviously the Lutherans have the Augsburg confession this is the Heidelberg Catechism um the Belgic confession French confession 1689 sorry 1689 london baptist confession right yep that is what some of us are and and again these obviously the baptist one is a is 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 different on on some major things but but all of these express these ideas differently with different emphases but they all would fit the three things i just described before
1: i know that we're now walking through these Different definitions, ideas, things that need to be explained in and of themselves. I do still want to make it clear that uh, because we use language in different ways, uh, when we are discussing these, you know, if if I'm sitting down with somebody uh, at my kitchen table because we've invited them over and they're telling me about their faith and they say uh, they say that they are reformed. My first question is not usually. Oh, well, explain that. Or my first question, sure. not really, is not usually, okay, well, how well do you hold to the regulative principle and walk me through your understanding of covenant theology, right? Uh, at where I live in my, you know, kind of circles of influence, when I hear somebody say that who's not in my church, I assume what they mean is I believe in a Calvinistic soteriology. Yeah. But I think that what you're getting at is a really valid point, and it is necessary to understand where these terms come from and what they do mean
0: historically. I I think so, and I think that is a great point. Right, my goal, you know, is is when you now hear someone say "reformed," is oh, I wonder which of the no, you know what they mean. We still know what they mean. But I think this is, this is this is something new Calvinism never told me, right? But if we're going to look at these things historically, which is what I'm advocating for, I think it might even be even more useful to think about what would have the reformers in that generation themselves understood that term to mean? Because it wasn't going to be a specific set of doctrines at that time. Right? The, the term reform came from the idea of reconstructing something ag- against a specific order or an order that once was. Right? To, to make something that's there, right? Renovate. It's re- you're renovating a house. You're not building a new house, you're not ripping down a house. You're renovating it. And that was their goal to renovate the church their own lives, their piety, their doctrine back according to the word of God. And maybe that is the kind of reformed we need to be. To, to be reformed in the original definition. To be seeking to reform our lives and our families and our churches according to the word of God. For tuning into Restless, we will be back with you with more next week. Listen to those guys; they sound so fresh. Tell us what you think about what they thought of, what it means to be reformed. Rate and review this show.
1: Uh, also, I just want to say my like peak of of fame that I want from all of this is I want us to end up on Presbycast at some point Ooh. explaining what we're doing. That's my that's peak for me.
0: That I love how that how doable that is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean